Welcome to episode 260 of the No Presidium Podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro headquarters in Los Angeles, a.k.a. the kitchen table. Uh, This week on the show, uh, a show that uh, I never wanted to do um, and didn't expect to be doing under the conditions that we're doing it under, which is... uh, the start of this week on Monday, and it's it's been quite a week for news. Um, the start of the start of the week on Monday, um, it was announced by Third Rail Projects in New York City that uh, because of the pandemic, uh, then she fell uh, in its current run, its current incarnation uh, will close, has closed uh, because it hasn't been running for a while. So retroactively, the last show was the last show. Um, They've had 4,444 performances, Uh, ran for seven and a half years. I first saw the show back on uh, October 22nd of uh, 2013, 2014. It's been a, it's been a, yeah, 2013, 2013. I I looked it up uh, this week. I was surprised. I thought I'd, I thought I'd seen it later. Um, Turns out I saw it um, just shy of their first uh, anniversary. Um, we got a lot of the uh, NoPro crew to write about uh, how Then She Fell impacted them. Um, we, we had to rein everybody in, actually, because uh, uh, we could all go on for, for quite some time. Uh, longtime listeners of the show know that uh, there would be no no proscenium, uh, if it hadn't been for that show, uh, there's, there's just a, it was a, there is, was, I don't want to talk about it in past tense. There is a special alchemy to that production. Uh, the work that that entire ensemble, uh, who are led by Zach Morris, Tom Pearson and Janine Willett, um, just, uh, sort of is the mathematical proof that immersive theater works and matters. Um, I do not want to say goodbye to that show. Uh, so I'm not saying goodbye to that show. Uh, we're saying, uh, see you soon. <laughs> um, the whole world is in chaos. Uh, we'll, we'll do some of that on the back end. Um, and uh, this is, in terms of productions, are our first major ca- major casualty in the immersive theater world. Uh, a lot of big shows out in theater theater have uh, shut down, um, will not be coming back when theaters are open again. Um, there's a, a feeling of existential threat to everything. And uh, I just want you to know that uh, the what we recorded this Monday in our Discord... Uh, is not a meditation on that. It is uh, a discussion and a meditation on uh, the good parts and what the show means. Uh, and there is uh, there's some sad feeling, but there's also some joy. There's a lot of love uh, coming from all corners. Um, 
the we this is not everything that was said then uh some folks uh you know, tapped out afterwards and said like hey um, um you know maybe not with the recording and i'm like that's cool uh this is not hard news um and it's not awake either uh there's a way of looking at that this that we held awake not not really awake although i was drinking um yeah uh <laughs> I sound down right now because this week has been brutal. Not personally, just uh, in the macro sense. Uh, personally, uh, actually fairly decent aside from this. Uh, let's do a couple of bits of the business. Uh, we are back after a week hiatus. I want to say hello to our latest backers, Courtney Matz and Alicia Mullen. Uh, Alicia looks to be joining our sustaining backers, so thank you for that. Uh, we are still holding steady at 336 backers. Every person we gain, we lose a person. So we're just 14 away from our next milestone, which would be uh, 350 backers. Uh, and uh, I don't know, maybe we'll make it. <laughs> it sure would be nice uh, to have something to come out of this month uh, on a positive tip. Uh, since we are just uh, just uh, 14 uh, away from that right now. Our sustaining backers are, our current sustaining backers are Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mistry, Sydney Guillory, Jeremy Charles Hahn, Brittany, and Elaine. And uh, if this shows value to you, if uh, the work we do of, um, you know, connecting the immersive world and of uh, discovering new voices and talent, um, particularly since uh, we're going to need to be doing even more of that work in the years ahead, uh, given that we're <laughs> losing one of our uh, one of our stalwarts, one of our pillars of, of the community. Uh, you can join us at patreon.com slash no proscenium. We're just, just looking for those two and five dollar backers because um, we had everybody uh, who uses our services do that. Um, like well, I could pay off those loans that I've taken to survive. Uh, so there you go. Um, uh, continuing the mission, uh, e even if it kills me. All right. Um, let's do the show. Um, it's, you know, it was a, it was a freeform gathering in discord. So that's what you're going to get. And, um, I, I hope this, uh, this conversation, uh, and there's, there's, you know, Catherine's in here, uh, that's our executive editor, uh, our, our good friend, Brian Bishop, uh, comes through, uh, Zay Amsbury, who's been with us, uh, forever, uh, <laughs> I talk about my oldest friends in the weirdest way. Zay and I have known each other uh, for eternity. Uh, we've got Haley Nichelle uh, kind of kicks us off. Haley, uh, who's in the, the Underpresents these days, uh, she's also been a performer. And then she fell. Uh, Kevin Gossett's in there. Uh, just just uh, And uh, Edward uh, Milchrist uh, is also in there as well. Uh, just a, a lot of folks uh, coming through. And uh, yeah, I'll... Um, I'll see you on the other side. Although I'll I'll warn you, it's it's probably going to be uh, uh, the the Hulk version of me. So um, yeah. <laughs> which is you wake up, your alarm is your phone. And so to wake up, you have to turn the alarm off, which means you gotta touch the phone and you touch the phone and suddenly you're on social media. 
you're checking things um, before you're even conscious. And the first thing I saw this morning, and it had been a, it had been a decent weekend, as decent as 2020 gets. First thing I saw this morning that they were recording this is that uh, Catherine had uh, reposted uh, the fact that uh, then she fell uh, had closed. Um, as you all probably know, uh, there's no no proscenium without then she fell. Uh, if I hadn't uh, had the beautiful experience I had in that show, I would not have then spent the rest of that night in a jazz club in the East Village, furiously scrawling notes until three o'clock in the morning while drinking beer and with my mind on fire and deciding that we had to do everything we could to bring this art form to as many people as possible. Um, that's just a fact. Tonight, we are not, um, we're not mourning the show because it's not gone. It'll never truly be gone for no other reason than it's always with us. Uh, but we're also, um, we're gonna celebrate the run that was seven and a half years, more than 4,000 performances. And um, we've got uh, so many members of the staff. It's such a, a big part of, uh, of their own origin stories. Got a few friends in uh, and probably uh, the, the most special friend and the person who's got to take off the soonest uh, is Haley Nichelle. Uh, who's going to open up her mic now, um, who has performed, uh, she performed in Then She Fell. She performed as one of the Alice's for a while. Um, and Haley, uh, you're still muted at the moment, so I'm trying to do it. There we go. <laughs> I want to do a soft toss. Um, uh, yeah, so um, just a random Monday in August, huh? Yes, just a random Monday in August, um, I am absolutely heartbroken that Then She Fell has closed its doors, but Third Rail Projects is still a company and they will continue, I'm sure, to be a company that produces work that blow continues to blow our mind and push beyond anything we think is creatively possible because that is what that company does. Um, and I guess just like a little ode to then she fell it. I mean, I was there for about 200 shows. So there are way more company members that are significantly more senior than me. And I was only there 2014, 2015, um, but it was the first time, uh, I worked in a truly nurturing environment, an environment where, um, one of the directors, Zach, uh, him and I had a conversation one day after or one evening, one very early morning or more like it after a show. And, you know, we started go doing the deep dive down the immersive hole as you do at 1 a.m. And uh, it, it, it was pretty cool to have your director 
your boss, the person that you look up to kind of say like, if immersive theater is what you want to do, keep doing it, explore it further. It's beyond this show. It's beyond New York. It's beyond just dance and theater. And so like having those conversations with him and like truly in that building, um, I'm rambling a little bit and I apologize. There's a lot brewing inside of me right now, but um, that building is a place of nurture. That building um, developed me as an artist, as a performer, expanded my mind beyond anything I could imagine. And it's all because of that show, all because of Tom, Zach, Janine, Marissa, Lizzie, Ed, just Al, all of those incredible, Rebecca, all of those like OG performers that created that, that family. And um, I, as an artist, I think the community, the dance community, the immersive theater community, owe a whole bundle of gratitude to Third Rail Projects for dreaming up then she fell and sharing that dream for so many years and so many shows yeah i think it's impossible to overestimate the impact that show had um you know more people have seen sleep no more and this is not a contest but we know more people have seen Sleep No More just the way that's the way math works. Um, but the number of creators that I personally know and who were who drew great inspiration from Then She Fell and who who had a, a similar experience to what I did, which was you, you go to Sleep No More and Sleep No More was when it, was you know in New York is just impossible to <laughs> imagine anyone tackling that without resources far beyond those of mortal men. And then you go to this much more DIY feeling space that has somehow been equally transformed, but transformed in a way that feels attainable and was scaled up a, a, a project that felt so personal and the possibility just sort of opens up in, in, in front of you that way. And the DNA of that, of this show can be seen in, in so much work. Um, I actually want to draw, um, give everyone some, I'm going to draw Brian Bishop to the mic, then I'm going to draw Catherine, then I'm going to draw Zay, and then we're going to open a little wider. But Brian, I'm turning to you next because uh, you wrote a little thing, uh, you know, your your encapsulation on Facebook, which we're going to publish as part of a, a tribute post we're doing uh, this week. Um, you hit the nail on the head in terms of you know, what we've lost in, as, as, a, as a generative force. Yeah, it was... Um... Uh, it's so funny. I think, um, like Kaylee, like all of us, I'm still kind of like processing that, which as this is, and as an audience member, this feels a little weird to say, but, um, 
you know, the truth of it is from the very beginning when I, you know, I came at this work originally as a journalist, right? I didn't know a lot about it. So um, when I first started covering the work is from that perspective, and I was talking to creators, uh, and they would always talk about the things that it had inspired them. And then she fell always came up as this thing. Sleep No More was like the given that was in Gossip Girl, and everybody knew about that. But then she fell was like the the secret touchstone that all these creators would name check. Um, and then just the way life worked out, I didn't get to go to New York to see it. Um, for years until this year, actually. And so I'd seen all this work in the meantime. And then when I, I saw Then She Fell, it's exactly as you said, no, I just kind of like realized, oh, like there's so many things in the work that we love today that is inspired or cribbed from that, like the basic conceit of how it works, the way the the audience interaction is, the way, you know, props are used, given to the audience members and they come back around. Like there's a very specific flavor of immersive work that I resonate resonates with me most. Um, and it was all formative in Then She Fell. And so kind of like looking back, um, it's kind of like, wow, it's kind of like how you see, you know, gangster movies and you're like, I know all about gangster movies. And then you watch Goodfellas and The Godfather. You're like, oh, they're all just kind of like doing that thing in a different way. Um, and that's how it is. And so you have this situation where this one piece of work uh, was inspiring so many creators. Literally, it, other work would not be possible uh, without it. And uh, the fact that it's gone or, you know, in, in the form that it currently has been is just, you know, desperately sad, right? Because it's like the one thing that you want to always be able to share with people that you could always share with people because it was still around. Um, and now not getting to do that, not getting to see the shows that uh, other creators will be inspired to make because of it. Um, it's not just the show. That's the loss. It's everything around it. Um, yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's a huge bummer, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely made it's made the job it's made the work um you know even just the past few months of not because of covid not having it around knowing that people weren't getting initiated and and knowing that this was a possibility but but never thinking about it because why send the energy to it we need that energy for today but knowing that for for some period of time you know, there isn't going to be a third rail show that we can just tell people, well, go just go see that. Like, you really want to understand this form, go see Then She Fell. You, you really want to know what's going on here, go check out the, the work that these folks do. And you'll you'll see the full potential on display. Like, that was for me, you know, everything I had been looking for Everything I've been looking for in theater, everything I'd be looking for in in live action role playing games, e even things I had been looking for in in video games, I found in that converted rectory, <laughs> you know, um, and was shown that it was possible. Um, it was it was the answer to the questions I had and the genesis of brand new questions I didn't know how to formulate until that moment. Um, and yeah, Catherine, I'm gonna call you to the mic. Um, yep. Where's, 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 <laughs> where's, your, where's your head at? I know, I, know, I know this one's hitting you. Yeah, so um, to build off of what you were saying in the beginning, I am currently in Los Angeles, 
and I'm studying interactive media and game design, but some of the professors I'm closest to work more in theme parks and alternate reality games. And I do not know if I would have driven across the country to move to Los Angeles from New York if it had not been for no pro, but without then she fell, there is no no pro. So there's that. Yeah. You know, absolute alteration of of life path. And one of the things that always struck me is how accessible um, the company felt, right? They did classes in LA, classes in Canada, classes in Denver. They went overseas. They did work in China. They did work in Russia with Global Performance Studio. And they were always having, uh, you know, afternoon classes, weekend classes, or even week-long intensive classes in New York because they really wanted to educate people and um, share their insights and their talents. Uh, I know Tom was teaching an immersive theater class at Westland, um, and they, it's not just that they have influence in New York, right? They've done Learning Curve in Chicago, and they did Sweet and Lucky in Denver, and they did Confection in DC, and they did Icarus in San Diego. And so from this seed, right, from this germination of this one approach to immersive theater, this idea, this methodology, this this way of looking at the world, they've been able to build upon that and really help grow this community in a way that I think a lot of other companies, they just, they don't have that same amount of reach. They don't have those, these deep, deep roots in the community. And you see all of the cross-pollinization. Um, for example, Eschaton, Taylor Myers is also someone who worked with Third Rail. Like a lot of the performers that are in the other shows, like Haley, went through that process, collaborated with Janine and Zach and Tom, and were influenced by them and have kind of spread that out into the greater immersive universe. So it's it's really hard to try to measure that ripple effect, but it's enormous. And, and there's, it, it crosses the, bra the, the divide between the physical and the digital. Um, you roll back to Halloween 2016, the last good <laughs> anything in the history of America, and you find um, you find Zach on the West Coast doing a workshop, uh, you know, tied to Oculus and Kaleidoscope for uh, a whole bunch of you know VR folks, and Haley was part of what they did. Uh, they did a performance that they brought people through. Uh, and so you had like Sashka Unseld uh, of Oculus Story Studio going through a bespoke immersive piece that, you know, Alberto and Zach and Haley and Lizzie just generated, you know, over the course of uh, that weekend. And they, you know, the guys from the net nest, Jeff and Jarrett had come, came together with them to like do the props locally. And there are gags that are in the nest that originally showed up in that show. And there are certainly people who make VR immersive who were exposed for the first time to live immersive in that experience, like these little tiny moments. And, you know, that doesn't exist without Then She Fell 
and without Yelena, you know, being completely versed in immersive theater as much as she's versed in the, the all the mysteries of VR. Definitely. I mean, Janine's been working with uh, the folks at Adventure Lab, right? And then Wolves in the Walls would be completely different if Third Rail hadn't gotten involved. Immensely different. Zay, I'm gonna I'm gonna have you open your mic up next. Um, normally, I just have everyone just like having their mics open, but there's so many people right now. Um, as much as our friendship like stretches before immersive, like I feel like our the linchpin of our of the immersive part of our, our friendship and, and your involvement with what we've done over the years, it goes right through third rail. It goes right. Yeah, through. It, it really does. Um, I remember, I remember you visiting New York. I remember meeting you at some, uh, that big German beer hall somewhere in prospect park. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm I'm thinking about uh, two things. Um, the that often um, paraphrased quote from Brian Eno, where he said that that first printing of the original Velvet Underground album was ten thousand albums, was only ten thousand albums, but every single person who bought one of those albums formed a band. And that is a radically paraphrased um, quote, but that's what this sort of feels like. It feels like then she fell as a is a source that continues to germinate in all the ways that you and Catherine just uh, delineated. Uh, and for me personally, I saw then she fell at a point in time where I was having a really pain relationship to theater and to my experience in grad school as a playwright and it all just felt so painful writing and going to see theater and the theater world in new york for me at the time and seeing then she fell somehow separated text from theater in a way that was permanent for me. And it was kind of healing and making the transition to experiencing immersive theater as the vital pathway into theater for me was how I stepped out of writing plays at that time. And it was a very important step. And um, and then she felt really helped that happen. And funnily enough, the first time I got paid to write prose was a piece I wrote on Then She Fell in Sleep No More uh, that I was just rereading. Um, And that's what I'm thinking about, just thinking about the the experience of seeing the piece. I was lucky enough to see it more than a few times and um, 
Uh, yeah. There's no, there's no real game plan here, and I don't really know what's gonna emerge out of what we're talking about. I know that I've got some, uh, I've got some anger about what's going on, not not directed at third rail. Um, I think Noah, you're just going through like all eight stages of grief at once, because that's what I'm feeling. Yeah, I mean, I definitely woke up this morning and it it felt like it felt like after getting my feet back uh, underneath me for like the sixth time during pandemic, that someone came along and like tried to like sweep the leg, Johnny. Uh, but I'm not allowing myself to drop. Like instead, I'm just like you know they just broke their leg instead. <laughs> Brian, you you opened your mic. Uh, no, no, I was, I was fine. I was just, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I got thrown off completely by the Karate Kid reference. I can't recall what I was going to say before. Sorry. Um, the, the pop well, I, I think Jacob, <laughs> I think Jacob Patterson said it best on Facebook, something about mm. how he's been like trying to be aggressively optimistic every day to like get himself in that mindset. And then this happens. Yeah. Yeah. No, and Jacob has been being, like, aggressively optimistic. Um, and he's been, like, wrestling with... I mean, that's the thing, is, like... As individuals, all of pandemic has been tough for just about everybody. Like, none of us are Jeff Bezos. <laughs> none of us are Elon Musk, suddenly richer than we ever were before. Um, and and yet the the collective shock of certain things um, hasn't fully come, right? Like we've been, we've been blessed as a community to not have lost anybody physically to COVID. Um, other artistic communities have not been so lucky. I can think of, you know, Broadway's lost folks in, in pretty spectacular ways. Um, this is our first this is the first thing that we all kind of hold together that's been taken from us, even if it's not being taken from us forever, knowing how hard it'll be to get it back is, um, yeah. I mean, that's, you stare right in the eyes of that and you know, that's just part of the conditions here. Yeah, that does speak no to something that that has been on my mind. Just thinking about there's what happens to the work in this context, right? And we've seen a lot of people do really interesting online work uh, and and things like that, trying to take the project into a different medium. There's lots of interesting VR stuff going on, um, but it is also hard to not wonder where one-on-one, -on -one, you know, immersive theater goes. Uh, in a post-COVID world. And I think up until now, it's been a little bit easy, um, at least for me. I don't know how everybody else has been doing it, but just to kind of like coast on denial, like I've kind of been dealing with most other things that are happening and figuring it's it's all going to work out some way, somehow at some point. Uh, but, you know, waking up by the same experience you did this morning, woke up, checked my phone, saw the press release. Um, and then it's like, well, okay. Like, it's not going to be okay. There is problems, you know, in the world now, you know, with the way it impacts the work, what is it going to look like? Um, and I think that's an interesting conversation to have at some point um, yeah. because we're going to have to reckon with it eventually. 
Um, but I think the the uncertainty that it brings into what was uh, a place of solace in a lot of ways um, is really rattling. Yeah. I'll also say that it felt like we were making some headway into making these almost permanent or semi-permanent homes for immersive. So um, right before the pandemic, in that time leading up to it, you had the launch of Showfields, which was a retail space trying to do immersive theater. You had Zero Space, which was a giant art exhibit that wanted to have private parties and also had actors in there. You had Wildrench, which was doing its own thing and kind of that that video game console model that they always talked about popping one cartridge in and being able to switch, you know, at a moment's notice to do a more Dungeons and Dragons type show and then more of a historical show and then back to something that's more of a game light. So I also noticed that there was a announcement about a new immersive venue that was trying to open up in Midtown and they had just barely announced that they were existing. And so I was starting to think like, oh, this would be great. What if we did have five, six, seven, eight different homes for immersive in New York, all with their own flavors, their own personalities. And now, you know, Kingsland's Ward is closed and Wilderness will go on as a storytelling studio, but without their Lower East Side space, I don't know what's going to happen with Zero Space. Showfields, I think, is still open, but it's because they've got that retail model. So part of it, too, is I'm just kind of a little depressed that we, we've lost all of this progress that we have made. We were in, in Los Angeles. We were on the verge of having, and it was definitely more on the kind of like commercial, you know, um, we were gonna, we were kind of, we'd come up with a different term of art than selfie palace, but then we're never, didn't have, never were given the opportunity to deploy it. Ex, was it experiential, experiential art Something venue like type thing? Yeah, but matter. like the, right the Britney like, Spears one and Model Land, like had, that, it was Britney gonna be a thing. Going. Yeah, we had Britney Spears going, we had Model Land coming, we had, uh, I mean, you know, the night that the order came down and everything broke, the night that the NBA canceled their season was the night that Madcap Motel was supposed to open up. And the Museum of Ice Cream was known to have secured a permanent location in Los Angeles. You know, and I mean, that's MOIC right. They, has... they had just opened their New York one, I think, yeah. in like January or February. Yeah. Huge blow. And so, and so we had, you know, we were going and, and Model Land was on the west side and uh madcap was in the arts district which is like you know just just west of the river so as close as you get to being actually east side without being east side and um you know the the assumption was that moic was going to be somewhere in the middle there was there was um fl not flutter there's there, there were little things too tiny spaces that that had popped up and and were starting to happen in two bit was around and we were we were going to have three to five spaces in LA by this time this year you know um everything it, it wasn't going to be easy it wasn't going to be easy and there were people who were going to lose their shirts and there were people who were going to say that you know this is a fad all that kind of junk but it was starting to happen we were doing it uh Kevin you've been in the you've been in the chat uh, since the top, you, you, you do got to see. Then she fell. Was it also this past year? Like, yeah. So, yeah. so I saw it in February. I was like, it was in New York. Um, mm -hmm. actually, my wife. We'd gone four years ago. Actually, this month. Um, is the very first show either of us had seen. So, 
we went to it and my wife had like a hard time kind of like vibing with what immersive theater was. And then I really enjoyed the experience. So I was like, I don't know if I ever really want to go back and see it. Like I'd had such a perfect kind of monumental experience. It was like, I think that just wants, I'd want that to live kind of as it is. <clears throat> so when we were back in New York, um, Francesca, she was like, oh, I want to go see it again. Like, I feel like I can like really get more out of it. So I was like, okay, let's do it. And it was like, of course, it was like, how silly of me to like think that it could never live up to itself because it is it is the show. It's it's like you said, it's so many people's origin story for immersive theater. And I think that's why it's like everyone's kinda like, how's it gone? Because it's it's sort of such an like an institution. Like it's like you go go to New York, go see Then She Fell. It's the show. Like it sets the tone for so much of of all of immersive theater. And for the last like four years, nothing's really topped it for me. Things come closer, they do different things, but it's it's the most complete show. It has such like a, a clarity of vision of what it's about and, and all that. So I'm, I'm just grateful my wife wanted to see it again and was able to see it in February for a second time before it, everything went to hell. So. Well, I think, I think something to note about how it's complete and how it has layers is that, you know, it did not emerge overnight. You know, that show was developed over the course of a number of years, um, something I've mentioned before, I think on the cast, but maybe maybe even some folks in the room don't even know. Um, there's Punk a haunted a, house. Three years well, of a haunted house will really th- teach you how to move people around. <laughs> right. There's there's that part of it, but there's another part of it that actually is tied to Los Angeles, which is that there was they had done because of the relationships with Arts Brooksfeld. Um, they would do residencies in properties that company owns. Uh, they did residencies in New York, but they also did a residency here in Los Angeles. And there was a dance they did that was Alice in Wonderland themed, you know. Uh, they did at the Bank of America Plaza here in L.A. Uh, that is part of the DNA of the show. Uh, they did it at this pool that's on... Uh, the level, the mezzanine level that's just below <laughs> the ground level. Uh, so it's open to the sky. There's this pool with a waterfall. Um, and there's some offices ringed around the building. One of the offices happens to be the Kaiser that's uh, office that's in there, which happens to be where my doctor moved to. <laughs> so um, every time I go visit my GP, I, I get to go have communion with uh, a, a bit of the the DNA of, of Then She Fell. But that process is one of the things that gives the show so much richness and allows people to take elements of it or take inspiration from it. And I, I certainly hope that aside from third rail coming along with new work once we get things going again that people take the lesson of yeah we're going to want to do things right when we get back but i hope to god people are are, are taking the time to 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 lay some layers in and to develop some work that's got got some layers and got some teeth yeah definitely the amount of outdoor site-specific free dance that they have done over the years cannot be overstated. Like they 
would do stuff that was a 10 minute show outdoors in like one of the most busy plazas in Brooklyn. And it was timed for people's lunch breaks. And that was the genesis of like what would eventually become parts of roadside attraction. Like they have been doing a lot of stuff outdoors, public art for a really long time. And I don't know if it gets enough recognition how rigorous this site-specific approach has been for them. I'm going to take a moment here to note, uh, we still have a few members of the staff who haven't hopped in yet. So I'm going to, I'm going to pass the mic to Edward in a second. Um, but also if you're in the chat um, and you've got something you want to share, uh, how the show impacted you, you know, you're, you're feeling in the moment, uh, feel free to raise your hand in, uh, in the, the text chat and we will uh, bring you up to the mic, uh, you know, as part of the process. So Ed, uh, I know earlier in the day you were saying like, you might not, you know, be ready, but then when we checked in again, you were, you knew that you wanted to come back to the mic. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what we're really talking about here tonight is just that in so many ways, then she fell, became and still is a touchstone for immersive theater, particularly in, in New York City, but around the world as well. But for us in New York, um, it's just become something that is such a touchstone and something that you use to explain and to educate anyone who is interested in immersive theater, whether that's an audience or whether it's a creator. I mean, you just look at the, the care and attention to detail of every aspect of the show. I think that's the thing that really makes it so special. Um, you look at the set design, an amazing job in this in this uh, abandoned house and making it feel completely magical. And I can still remember the first time walking into a room which I thought was going to be one thing and ended up being completely different or the moment where suddenly it, it's, it's magical and the care and attention to detail there. But more than that, it's looking at taking the source material, obviously this uh, Alice in Wonderland, which everyone's familiar with, but going further and looking for details and looking for the, the story of Lewis Carroll and Alice Little and making that a touch point. And then further than that, you look at things like from a production point of view, the smoothest transitions anywhere. There is no other company, certainly in New York, that you can look at who can make it work so seamlessly. The the audience size, having an audience of 15 and staying at that size uh, the entire time is a huge choice that the production team made and they made it work and it makes the entire experience so much more intimate um, and so much more special. And for me, I think that's where, when you look at things like, um, if someone wants to find out more about the magic circle, like for us in New York, when we're having conversations around around uh, the Everything Immersive Meetup, or whatever, we say, well, have you been to Then She Fell? Like, have you seen how they did it? Have you seen how they bring you into the world? Have you seen like, oh, the fact that they have the filing cabinets and in the filing cabinets, everything is there that you can like look for the Easter eggs and it brings you in, brings you in. It's all that sort of stuff, which for me, that is one of the big reasons why I feel, particularly for us in New York, that's why we feel this great sense of loss is that this is a beautiful production, which is an educational milestone for our entire community. And there's so much to... Uh, enjoy and love about this show. I mean, I love the fact that all through tonight, no one's actually really spoken about the show itself because everyone knows it. Like everyone here is, is so familiar with it and it becomes, oh, then she fell and everyone immediately knows so much and has, has these, uh, the knowledge that has come from it. But 
it, it's a terrific loss for us. I mean, it's so exciting to know that Third Rail are continuing and they will do so much more amazing things in this city and elsewhere. Um, and they're actively looking for education goals, looking to help uh, promote new artists, new performers, new directors, new writers, which is so exciting. Um, but for me, I think my, my biggest feeling is that when you walk away from Kingsland Ward, it's the weirdest sensation. It's a real sense of loss and grief as you leave this other reality. And it's, it's waking up from a dream and not being ready to wake up from that dream quite yet. Uh, and as you walk around the streets of Brooklyn, as you go back to get on your train to like take a very late journey home, you, the, the entire experience goes through your head and replays and replays. And that sense of wonder that Third Rail and the incredible stage team, the incredible performers that they created together is something that will last with you, not just that night, not just the next night, but forever. I think that is why we're talking about it tonight. That's why we're so excited to see where they're going next. But it's why in this moment, um, when we, I think that just lastly, I think the thing is, there's always that hope that, oh, tonight someone's going to go and see it for the first time. Mm -hmm. And if a friend asks you about it and you say, well, have you seen this? Like, get a ticket, go and see it. And then having the discussion with you and knowing that that's not going to be the case for some time or, or ever at this point is, is such a, a sad realization. But. For those of us who got to experience it, for those of us who have learned from it and will continue to grow from it, it we have so much to be thankful for. Um, but yeah, to, to Alice and Alice and everybody in between. So yeah, what a what a sad day for us all. Well, and I also want to note, you know, over 4,000 performances and seven and a half years of a run, which is... And that's a that's a titanic run for any production in New York City. And you know, I saw someone note, you know, you know, as as the team at Third Rails noted, like it was never a big profit center for them. And there was someone who made a note of like all, all those years and all the all the ticket sales they must have done, and like it was never profit, it was never super profitable. Like, you know, that's a tragedy. And I'm like, is it a tragedy though if they kept on getting to bring it to everybody? Like, there's a model here about how this is a sustainable piece of work for the better part of a decade. And I gotta say, like, there's probably plenty of work that's popped up in that decade that's tried to turn a profit like a serious profit, uh, and has not come nearly, nearly as close to the level of run that they had or supporting all the artists that they supported or supporting the neighborhood that they supported. And there's something to look at in the model here as we build forward our future. You know, what are the things that we value as a community, as a society, as a people. And it's the stuff that makes life worth living, you know? And Catherine just did some math, like... Yep. You, you know, Even with the repeats, right? 4,444 yeah. shows times 15 tickets. That's over 60,000 people, even if people came back twice, right? Like, that's a lot of people who've seen a ostensibly scrappy DIY, not corporate immersive theater dance show. Yeah. 
tens of thousands of people, tens of thousands of people who are who are activated. And to Zay's point earlier, right? You know, the ten thousand people who bought the album and all of them went off to go form bands. Nick uh, um, Nick Reinwald Jones uh, said he didn't even know that immersive theater was what he wanted to make. He didn't even know the term, but when he saw it at Then She Fell, he was inspired to create. He uses it as shorthand. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my own, my own experience, when Ed was talking about, like, when you leave King, Kingsland's Ward, you go out into the Brooklyn night. You know, I remember leaving and my mind was on fire and the, the nearest subway stop was down that night. You could get there, but you, but you couldn't get back. The, the train going the other way, uh, you had to, you had to go a little further in. And the L to, it's always yeah, the L. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, we, you know, you, so I, I walked like I could have, I could have called the cab, held the cab, there were cabs around, but even though I like, I had no idea where I was. And even though I had walked past a, um, bar earlier where someone was like, you know, sanguamorte, you know what that means? Blood death. And I was like, what is going on around here? So even though like, I was kind of like scared out of my mind, cause like there's some really sketchy people out. I knew I had to walk. I had to give my mind space to absorb what I had. Zay, you, you're jumping in. On the subject of walking out of Then She Fell, when I walked out the first time, you know how in Broadway or these big productions, people wait outside the theater for the actors to leave so they can applaud them or get photos or get... Uh, autographs i remember hanging out on that street wanting desperately for one of the characters to walk out to to somehow confirm <laughs> that what had just happened happened and also to confirm that 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 those spirits somehow still existed in the world even though um i'd left the building and I hung out for probably longer than I should have wanting to see one of those characters wander off into the night. I love that. I love that. Yeah. It's actually a really great point in terms of like, there's a desire for the continuity of the universe, right? Like there are shows where I felt that before, uh, but I had the exact same response say it was like and i found myself actually today like going through the the materials you kind of like walk away from the show with because it is uh it is so deft and it feels so real and the connection is so intimate um that it's just it's hard to let it go and you want that universe to kind of like perpetuate forever i guess that's the i, I guess that's the optimistic takeaway you know if, whether the show comes back or not we have these shared memories uh, and, you know, in our respective minds, these characters in that world lives on. Um, but yeah, it was uh, unlike anything I'd seen before in that regard. Like, I just wanted it to keep on going, and I just wanted to hang out with those characters. You're going to jump in? Yeah, on the on the subject of the post show, kind of, kind of what Brian and they were saying, and even 
Haley backing up like on my first show getting out of it it was very much that true like immersive experience where you chat about the show and it was, it was my first time kind of experiencing that but I had and this is slight spoilers I guess if it ever comes back but I had been getting pieces of a note kind of throughout the show and then when I talked to my wife after the show it turned out she had gotten a complete version of that same note at the end and it's like I don't know whether it was just like the way we were on the tracks or whatever but it just felt like that it was like one of those moments of pure immersive magic where it's like I don't know how this happened or why it happened or whatever, but it was like I had gotten those pieces and she had the full note. And it was like, as we were chatting, we realized we had like had the same piece. And it was just kind of like, holy shit. Like, I don't understand how this works, but it's one of those things that just like sinks your hooks in. Like, <laughs> I think that's the, yeah, that's the, the amazing thing with this show is that you can go back time and time again and it will always feel like it's a uniquely crafted experience for you. And even though your head is saying like, you know that there are tracks, you know that there's a way to do it. I mean, even the fact that like, when you think of a dark ride show, for so many of us, Then She Fell is the show that we say, oh, that's the example of it. But the yeah. fact that every single time you go through it, it feels like a crafted experience for you as an individual. And because of the audience size, that's amazing. I mean, there's a big scene which is um, involves teacups. I think that's all I need to say. But I didn't actually see that scene at all the first time. So I went back another time a few months later, and I still didn't see it. And I spent the whole time going, how am I missing this? What am I doing wrong? But the whole experience is navigated so beautifully that as you come away from it, you feel like you have seen an amazing journey crafted for you. And again, that's where it just comes back to they have created an incredible experience, which so many of us have learned from and loved and will continue to be inspired by as we move forward. Yeah, it's, I mean, the, the, the track laying in that show is, you know, akin to an incredibly complicated, like, German uh, animated clock, right? Like, there's all these pieces that are moving, uh, they're going through all these different layers, and you can miss entire parts of it, right? I mean, my first time through, I don't think I saw Anne Alice until about two thirds of the way through. And when I saw her, it was a fleeting glimpse of a young woman running down a hallway. And it just made the whole thing far more expansive than it actually was. Um, and, and 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 that just yeah i mean when when immersive works well it feels like it create that that you're going to a place that it's suspended outside of the normal rules of of space and time and there've been there've been three times in my immersive going career that i've intensely felt that gravity um i didn't know what it was the first time and that was for, for then she fell uh the second time was the grand paradise um and then uh annie lester's cavell actually uh when i got to see that the very first time uh you know i i had this longing to return to a place there was this pocket dimension that had been crafted and I just needed to get back there. With The Grand Paradise, like, I, I left that show and felt like I had just gone through, and that's another third rail show, that's why I'm, I'm spending some time on it. Um, 
I felt like I had gone through like a, a breakup and I just wanted to go back and felt that that gravity drawing me back to it the entire subway ride back multiple train ride back to where i was staying that trip and got up the next morning and instantly bought a ticket again to go back in and just to just to spend a little more time in that place um yeah i mean that's 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 the feeling right now is it feels like it feels like Kingsland Ward is still out there. It's just that the fucking portal to it has closed up. And we need to yeah. figure out the yeah. goddamn incantation to open it up again. <laughs> wear a fucking mask. We do wear Keep... fucking masks, though. Keep yeah, trying. <laughs> Try all the codes. Keep trying the codes. All right. 1178, 1179. I'd one, share eight, with you zero. guys what my favorite mask vendor is, but they. They sell out the second they appear, so I can't tell you what to buy. I need more of <laughs> You know, one thing we've kind of touched upon in, in pieces here and there, but like really struck me significantly when I saw the show is uh, is the precision, uh, precision rather of, of the staging and the tra and transitions, right? Like there are lots of shows that you see where there are lots of tracks going on. There's lots of things happen and there are lots of happy accidents and those can be wonderful and spontaneous. Um, but I remember going through the show and, um, I was, uh, but that gave me a thing away. There is a, a mirror dancing scene. And then later on the show, there was, uh, another one from a different perspective. And this, I had this like the, it was the one moment that took me out of the reality of the show where I was like, holy shit, like this thing is actually happening from a different perspective multiple times this night. And what I'm seeing goes far beyond what I, you know, what I have, you know, what I think is actually here. Um, but the fact that it happens with such fluidity and you never know it uh, is striking, you know, and I think it's something that it's easy to, you know, you don't notice it as an audience member and that's what makes it magical. Um, but it's such a fun foundational part of why the show is special. Um, and it's something like, it's a lesson I think we all could learn a lot from, right? Because um, it's one of those things like when you do it right, it elevates everything. And then she fell was just, um, was just singular in the way it did it. I think... Oh, go for it. Oh, I think on an even smaller note, just like the way the show does things, there's like, I don't even think this is a spoiler. If you're on like the back of a pack, like they'll kind of, the doors like hinge both ways so they'll close off a door and it closes off a pathway and like suddenly the group you were with is gone and you're on your own track now and it's such a small a small thing but it's so smart and so effective and just so clever like i don't i don't know no i mean that's that i think is a, a huge element right there of you know you're you're put off from everyone else and suddenly you're having a moment and you're like oh this is just for me even though it's not, but then there's this there's this layering of it where if you've seen it once, if you've seen it twice, because you know there are sequences that are repeating, because you know that, the, that there are pathways. Like people people when they go like, oh, what you know, anything I should know about the show, and I would say, well, look, I had a really great first time. If you want to have the exact same experience I had, you can sit in this seat at the beginning, and you will go on my path. 
but you could choose a different path and then we could trade notes, right? But I can guarantee you'll have a great time because of, you know, I thought my path was particularly wonderful. And the second time I went, also particularly wonderful. Um, and wonderful in a different way and fuller in a different way. So I would also heartily recommend that seat. And I could probably, if I had gotten to go enough times, recommend essentially any of the 15 seats. Although I think there's only maybe like four or five groupings, maybe three or four groupings. I don't know, people who have seen it more often can tell me. But it also got me thinking about how there's this initiatory effect and this thing where, you know, you want to see your friends go through it. You want them to experience it. One of the great joys in the past couple of years for me has been, you know, taking people to Savi's lightsaber spot in in Disneyland. And I did this did this with Anthony, who's listening right now. Uh, and I did, and Anthony and I did this with Zay, and bringing people into the circle. Um, and and getting to watch other people discover the depth of the space that that's an inherent quality i think of of the art form and i know it happens at sleep no more but there are spaces within then she fell when you are with a group of people and and the same way that you can have a knowing glance exchanged between you and a character you can have that same knowing glance exchanged between yourself and another participant um that that element of the shared secret that feeling just, of we know something now edward and just to take that further, I mean, the other beauty of the show is how accessible it is um, compared to a Sleep No More, which is uh, its own beast and is fantastic. Um, there's no way I could have sent my parents to a show like Sleep No More. The older parents, uh, they would have loved the Macbeth aspect, but the, the flights, the stairs, the craziness, it's not, it wouldn't have worked. But I was able to send both of my parents to Lenji Bell. No. <laughs> oh, oh, and those, and those. Well, we're British. We, we have we have different customs. Oh, okay, okay. Um, okay yeah. But no, but then Wait, she fell. Something is something that can become far more. It had more accessibility, and to be able to send my parents to it and wait for them and meet them afterwards and say, "What did you think?" and just to see the eyes opening to quite literally like the rabbit hole of immersive theater. Like this is for so many people is the gateway into finding out more. But this show is so beautiful in that it is accessible to so many and it, again it, it asks you to come into the world but it's gently 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 it's not come in and suddenly you're, you're you're at mad hatter's table no it's gently come in and gradually we build you into the world gradually and you're part of it um and i think that's so exciting to see that and to use that as inspiration for any other creators um as, as absolutely like this measuring tool of bringing people in and making the world accessible to more than just a, a very specific crowd, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Well, and I think that I always focused on the act of invitation. And it was the act of being invited from one sequence to another in the show that drew me in. Like, I was initially, the first couple of 
the the, the scene the scene zero and, and the pre-show and scene one for me kind of kept i was staying at a kind of a distance like i wasn't i wasn't vibing with what i was seeing and experiencing um i was i was really kind of not having it and yet a moment occurred where a character invited me to go in further and it's a false choice like you can't really say no because what are you going to do just leave the show but but it was they weren't asking me to do anything untoward and it was that moment of being invited and, and giving being given the opportunity to say yes um is such a huge part of of crossing the threshold yeah and and from a design perspective one of their core tenets is giving people the scaffolding to go as deep as they want to go but then on the flip side you know if you bring them in seven layers you have to be able to get them back out seven layers right so one of the things that i always end up doing is comparing the dismount right the the end of a show there's something about ending then she fell alone with a specific prop and hearing a specific soundtrack that always sticks in my mind as like space for the audience member to collect themselves and to feel like that magic circle is closed and they can le- they're leaving the magic circle now that they're they're exiting the portal and i i just i often struggle to think of an immersive experience that does the ending better and that to me is just you know chef's kiss masterclass that's the dismount as kevin would say yeah i i think i went drunkenly raved about this on that four hour end of year <laughs> podcast last year but i the dismount is so effective it's so good i like yeah just everything you just said about it but i i just want to keep it's shouting so, it out because it's so perfect yeah there's so many lessons that are still left in that show that no one's followed up on. Like, I feel like there's, and, and it's, it's frustrating because now we're just like, for the time being, we're just left with our memories. I mean, none of that was materially untrue for the past few months, but for, for the, for the indefinite future, we're left with our memories of the show and knowing that there's all these things that people have not chased down yet. And there's this this i i still look at like the ratio as being so key and financially difficult to do but there's something really just on about the ratio and there's something about the way people are woven together and pulled back apart that creates this rhythm to the reality which i think a few people have a few people have chased after that and i think that some people have chased after it and managed to nail it with like a track or two of what they've done but no one's no one's yet managed to replicate and i would i would venture to say you know um, as much as i love grand paradise as much as zay loved grand paradise like that show didn't didn't last as long like that that didn't take as many people along with it which i think is a real shame um uh because i think we love that show uh 
And but but structurally, it wasn't as tight. But structurally, it wasn't as tight. And and structurally, nothing's been as tight as the GPL. <laughs> And, and I feel actually, you know what I'll say? I think the one thing in, in all my years, the one thing that's been as close to a structurally as tight, um, was, um, oh my God, uh, was, uh, capital W's and the drum, which was looser in a lot of ways than, uh, than, then she fell like at all. And a very different, different beast, but structurally was was similarly disciplined zay the i love thinking about the the differences between grand paradise and um and and then she fell and how much more agency was involved in grand paradise um and how sort of choreographed the audience member is all the way through then she fell um, and there's almost no choice whatsoever. And a lot of the spots where it seems as if there is, there, there really isn't. Um, I have to motor, but one, one thing I wanted to, to, to say also is that one of the things that Jeanine talked about that's so lovely about Then She Fell is how many dancers it employed over its, over its long uh, set of performances. Um, just to have a show that is that accessible, that really is, in a sense, a straight-up dance piece. And to have so many dancers who can get employed in New York City regularly, um, it was really boon, it was really a boon for that community. Um, and and a lot of the loss that uh that the ending of the show represents um is that. And that's and that's sad. On the other hand, though, you know, there's a part of me that uh, there, there's a part of me that that is kind of okay. I mean, not said in terms of employment and what the pandemic has done, but there's a part of me that's kind of okay with the portal closing for a bit. Um, it's it's almost like a I don't know, like an ending of an act or something in terms of what that first big wave of immersive was and can offer a, a time to sort of reflect and think and and look at what all of the ripples and waves that flowed off of of then she fell and it's so lovely to hear uh everyone talking about it right now yeah, i think that, that that idea of that you know it's the end of a chapter i mean i'm looking at you know we have this kind of nice weekend where a bunch of a bunch of openings were affirmed and some projects were announced and it, it felt like, you know, hey, when we get on the other side of this thing, there's going to be some things to really look forward to. And with the news that hit this morning, you know, there's there's a there's a bitterness to go with the sweetness and just thinking like, well, but it's not. Not. Uh, none of them will be the, none of them will be this thing <laughs> like, you know, like there there may be a new a new era dawning, but I, I hope against hope that we don't lose the lessons and then lose the magic that was crafted in this current era. Um, 
it's it's a, it's a big puzzle to how we get back to it. Now ah. is the time if anyone's if anyone's been holding their tongue or uh, wants to wants to stick their hand up. I know we've got a few folks hanging around. Uh, now's a good time to hop into the the audience text and say, "Hey, uh, I got I got something." Um, otherwise, we may we may go into the non-recorded part of uh, of the evening because uh, naturally the beauty of the podcast is I'll still be able to do a coda one way or another <laughs> if I <just> choose. <laughs> Um, stick that landing, Noah. You gotta stick that to. landing. Yeah, I don't. I don't have to. <laughs> I don't have to have the last word. Yeah, I don't have to have the last word right now. I always have the last word. Um, 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 to Zay's point from that press release, ninety mm -hmm. performers and seventy staff through the course of the run. Run. Uh, and Kevin wants to talk about the 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 soundtrack. Um, oh, I was gonna let go. I just Catherine brought it up, and I think it's. It's in those like transitional scenes where it's just like it's that like organ or not even organ, it's like a accordion or whatever. But like it's so the soundscape to the show and that like kind of transitional music as it as you shift from scene to scene, other people have mentioned those shifts and how smooth they are. I think that's part of it too. It kind of like it's this gentle, easy transition into the next sequence or character or kind of whoever you're spending time with. Um and I think that's that's something that not a lot of shows do. Kind of know what you're talking about that. How kind of no one's taken all of the elements that make up. Then she fell and properly transitioned it into their own thing. And the soundtrack is is one of those like really important pieces. I think to the overall just like feel and vibe of Then She Fell. There are things they do with audio in that show, and I'll try oh, not to spoil them. I know, but you can't not talk about that song. Yeah. And, it's so and, difficult. And the way, the way it's used, and the way it's used as a thread to tie people's experiences together, right? Like that's that's one of the things in, in a way that there is a commonality. I mean, there's like a few commonalities, like when it comes to the design elements. Like the one of the things that impressed me the most about Sleep No More was the way they, you know, Punch Drunk uses sound in that show, particularly when you walk into a room that's dead, you hear the sound of an album, just of an LP, just... And you know it's a dead room. And if you're an audio nerd, you know, if you're not an audio nerd, you might not notice the sound. You're just like, oh, well, there's something staticky sounding here. But if you're an audio nerd, you're like, oh, oh, wow, like this is someone's not attending a record. And like, oh, nothing's happening here. I can move on. Right. And just the fact that it's talking to you at that level and that you're able to use another one of your senses to guide you. And they don't do the same thing here, but they use the soundtrack the way a soundtrack's meant to be to propel you forward to to tie people's experiences together and... well i will say that like in the mckittrick if you go enough times you will notice that the same song is playing in different places at the exact same time and it has different meanings for different characters whereas in kingsland ward you kind of do like a double take you're like is this live is this memorex i've yeah. heard this before yeah at, it's the same thing, but from a different perspective, which is what they play with throughout like the theming of the entire show with, am I on the inside looking out? Am I on the outside looking in? 
uh, is it one Alice? Is it two? Am I seeing a mirror? Am I not? Who, like, who are these people and why has Alice been torn asunder? So it just all fits in with the bigger themes that are at work and it's they're telling the story through the multiple senses like this all has meaning like it's embedded into it i think it was a one alice or, is or two Haley's back uh oh. while, you were, while you were gone tara khan came through the show uh and thus we managed to have two alices at two different times <laughs> <laughs> running running through this episode which means which is on theme Definitely perfectly, on theme. Perfectly on theme and perfectly perfect. Oh. Also, beer report, everybody. I am about uh, going, getting close to like two thirds of the way through this giant bottle of Stone Chaco Vesa. Um, so, um, I'm I'm raising my imaginary peppermint tea, and I've got an orange somewhere. Hmm. More, more appropriate, uh, but at the same time, Dead She Fell's uh, probably my favorite show, and Chaco Face was my favorite beer, so a favorite for a favorite. All right. I feel like maybe we're running out of steam for the recorded portion of the show. If you made it this far, thank you. Congratulations. <laughs> if anyone else if any brian if anyone's got anything to share with the listening public before we all pile into the cafe and just ramble at each other well there is one last point i wanted to hit is just hearing everybody talk and it's really interesting because it's specific i would argue it's specific to this show and that's no matter when you saw it if it was the first show you saw if it was the show you'd seen after seeing like you know hundreds of other immersive shows it doesn't it doesn't really matter when you saw then she fell um you always walked away from it with this incredible sense of discovery you know of something that you found something new no matter how many shows you'd seen before um that is what makes part of immersive work so special at least it has for me right you were finding these new ways to interact with characters with people with environments you're discovering frankly a new medium at some point um and the fact that this show could be that thing to so many people uh, for so long, uh, I mean, it speaks to it, but also to Zay's point earlier, does make me excited in a way. It's like, what happens when this comes back and we can introduce it to other people? When is the next thing that will give people that sense of discovery? Because ultimately, um, the work is the work and the potential of the work is what we're all kind of here for. Um, and I think the the greatest thing about Then She Fell for me is that it was, up until now, probably the best expression of the potential of the work. Uh, and I'm excited, I think, you know, whenever we're past this phase uh, and past this period of mourning, to find out where the, the new discoveries are, uh, you know, ahead for all of us. Here, here. Yeah, and I just, I just wanted to close out a little bit too. I think that I've spent most of the day pretty bummed about this happening. Actually, this conversation made me feel better and kind of hopeful for not just this show, but I think immersive theater as a as a whole. Um, and as everyone's kind of mentioned, it's like kind of your immersive origin story for a lot of people. And I think it's 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 been an entryway into obviously the larger like immersive community, which I think is important too. The, to Noah starting No Pro, Catherine to No Pro, kind of everybody. I think probably to this this wider immersive community. Um, and I think that's that's important in its own way. 
think that's a good place for us to leave the recording. Um, I will see everybody on the other side. And for those of you who are listening at home. Um, to yeah. Kingsland Ward. To Kingsland Ward. And uh, to when the portal opens again. Once again, I want to thank Zay and Catherine and Kevin and Brian and Edward and, of course, Haley for sharing with us, uh, for being with us in the Discord on Monday. Um, I just did like a 10, 15 minute rant <laughs> and I cut it because uh, I, I, I really, really went off. Um and it spiraled out. Uh, and I just I just want to leave you with something concrete. All right? And uh, it's sadly, it's not a message of hope, uh, but it is uh, a challenge. Everything that's happening right now in American culture and in American society. It's all part of the end game of a plan that's been going on since I was a child. From dismantling the postal service, to going after social security, to voter suppression, to indeed the wiping out of small businesses the wiping out of arts organizations and being replaced by corporate content mills. All of it is a vision that was born in conservative think tanks around the same time I was born. And there has been a relentless pursuit of this dream for 40, 50 years. And we are at the point of the, of, of the great battle, the great ideological battle for the soul of America. And I believe that where America goes, the rest of the planet goes. And you can actually see across the world the conflict between authoritarian forces and the forces of democracy. Look at what's going on in Belarus. Look at what's going on in China. Don't turn away. At the core, arts are about human expression, human connection about people putting their personal truths out there so that others can find a part of themselves reflected in it and thus know that they are not alone. The networks we have, the global networks of trade, of communication, which is embodied greatly by the internet, which we're all using right now 
to keep ourselves connected in a time we cannot come together physically. This is, this is a, a, a singular manifestation of those invisible networks that tie us together. That's the fundamental truth of it all. We are not alone. We are interconnected. The systems that keep the connections healthy are good systems. The systems that work against the connections, that fray, that divide, that make it impossible for people to find common ground, these are unhealthy, bad systems. There will never be a perfect system. We're humans. We're not meant to be perfect. And that's okay. But if you don't think for a minute right now that we are not in the moment of history where we get to have a better world if we will it into being or if we don't just accept that a finer world is not possible and just give up and let ourselves become debt farmers for billionaires who will sometimes maybe deign to let us have a cool party. Then you're not paying attention. Or maybe you believe that you no longer have the power. But those who govern always, always govern with the consent of the people. Throughout all of history, even when things were at their darkest, even when authoritarians seemed to have absolute control and there was nothing that could be done, the truth of it was that the people always had the last word. Always. I don't know what's going to happen with this damn election that's coming up. I don't know what future, what immediate tactical future is best to prepare for. And there are concrete moves that we're taking in order to buy us some time because we need to make some hard choices come the middle of November or we may need to make some hard choices. I'm hoping we don't. But I do not want you, if you are still listening to this crazy man rant, I don't want you to lose heart or to lose hope or to buy into the lie that there's nothing we can do about the post office, about the election, about health care, 
about the pandemic and that we just have to let the bullies and the corrupt run all over us and fire up a bunch of people with conspiracy theories and distractions in order to maintain their tenuous grip on authority because it is tenuous. It's tenuous everywhere. Yeah, that's the that's the happy version. <laughs> and the far less detailed version. Ah, uh, you do not want me talking about ambulances. Um <laughs> Um, why, why is that tacked on to, uh, the, 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 one where we talk about then she fell having to close because then she fell, didn't need to close, not in a world where we structured things right in a world where the pandemic response was a rational one in a world where there's healthcare for artists that is not employer based in a world where there's grants for artists coming from the government like other civilized countries have. And we need to be fighting for these things. If we're gonna fight for the art, if we're gonna fight for the work, we need to fight for the structures that allow the work to exist. So that's why a political rant's on the back end of this. All right. Thank you for your time. Anyone who listened all the way through, I don't. Ex I never expect anyone to listen to these. I'm always shocked when they do. Um, if if you want to <laughs> get at me and say, well, "What are we gonna do about it?" I'm down for that. Uh, hit me up. Uh, you know, ask to <laughs> ask to talk to me over in the Discord uh, is probably like the best way to do it, and uh, we we can go and, and do just that. All right, let's um, let's do the credits. Uh, once again, our sustaining backers, and this this is a this is a community funded podcast and and website and everything, right? Like, well, community and the massive loans I've had to take out. Uh, uh, so yeah. <laughs> Our sustaining backers are Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mustry, Sidney Guillory, Jeremy Charles Hahn, Brittany, and Elaine. You can join them at patreon.com slash no proscenium and uh, help me pay down those loans. Our music is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The executive editor of our website is Catherine Yu. Keep an eye out next week. EverythingImmersive.com goes into public beta. There's a little secret. And our guests for next week's show are going to be David and Lisa Spira of Room Escape Artist and of the upcoming Recon, which will actually be the weekend after this. So uh, keep your ears peeled for that one, for those of you who... Uh, yeah. Anyway... Uh, <laughs> We meet under the bridge at midnight. The code word is six Semper Tyrannis. Until next time, thank you for wearing the mask. Mm -hmm.